Welcome to the Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast, the tirade-filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics, cool dads, and struggling teachers. I'm Don Shanahan. I'm, this is terrible, I'm Will Louder Than Words Johnson. You're going to do like a slam poetry I, joke here? I got nothing. I, I, I no. didn't have anything creative to say, so I just, I looked up Tick Tick Boom songs and said, I'll just throw that as my middle name, okay. and Louder Than Words is the first thing that came up, and this is why I'm not the funny one yeah. on the podcast. I, I figured you were going to do like a Vanessa Hudgens, you know, like Boner Stan account or something right now, but okay, <laughs> we're good. You know, hey, I did. I I went there. So Vanessa Hudgens and everyone else is damn glad to have all of us together because, ladies and gentlemen, we're here all for tantrum sake. We're shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love. But for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, we are welcoming back our guest, Annie Banks of Chuckload of Comics and Movie Web. She's here to talk about an award season screener. Cinephile Hissy Fit has been hitting the bases of the awards contenders this year. And for what we got going here in January, February, we've got Tick, Tick, Boom. Annie, say hi to good folks. Hello to the folks. Oh, see, there we go. Uh, the year of Andrew you... Garfield. I mean, at this point, I mean, oh, I know. Tick Tick Boom is just Tick Tick Boom is just one of what happened. Yeah. 18, I mean, him and Willem Dafoe are in like every movie. And J.K. Simmons, like uh-huh. I think all three, well, three of them of are in them. every like movie. Trinity. I know. Yeah, they're it's like amazing. in every movie ever made at this point. Yeah. That, at- if you ask me, every movie ever made, it's just going to be whatever those three are in together. Yeah. Or, or Samuel Granite. Jackson, who's in everything too at this point. I think Samuel Jackson has replaced Kevin Bacon for the you know for the Six Degrees movie for. Oh yeah, he was he was in like he was in easily three or four movies this year. J.K. Simmons was in. I mean, if you count TV, if you count yeah. TV as well, Invincible and all the mm-hmm. uh, uh, oh, and then that's the commercials. Right. He voiced Aquaman. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, right. He, he voices he voices the he's an in Invincible. He voices the M and M's. He's on the right. uh, American Family commercials. He's in. He's he was in what uh, Future War, Spider Man, uh, National Champions, um, right, <laughs> like uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. He was in like seventeen movies this year. But well, Ghostbusters Afterlife. No, I was just Ghost... realizing that he was the voice behind the Yellow M M&M. and Oh, oh that's yes. right. Wow. Yeah, I, I guarantee you that that contract after he won that Oscar for Whiplash went up. It was like he's like, hey, oh, yeah. if I'm going to be hey. a stupid peanut Eminem, you better give me a lot more money. And they were like, yeah. oh, listen okay, here, I I'm Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons. <laughs> Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons, who voices the peanut Eminem mm-hmm. and Hawks Insurance music. with a sweater vest on. Oh, and mm-hmm. then being the Ricardos, he's in being the Ricardos too. Yeah, yeah. he's which in could, everything. Which might get him an Oscar now if he plays his cards right. So I know Don is on that train. I I, I can't just see his, it. Just but... his. He he's he's one of the if you were talking about five best performances of the year in that category, oh, I put oh, J.K. Oh, there. Oh. Yeah, really. In supporting act, name me four other supporting actors. Uh, we are, we are anyway, uh, the intro of this episode. I have no <laughs> idea. Okay. Other than our J.K. Simmons boner stand account that we just started right now, we're here for Tick, Tick, Boom, Lin-Manuel Miranda's adaptation of uh, the lost Broadway play. Is that how we can describe some of this? Something uh, like in the year yeah. of Andrew Garfield. 
So our format, as you know, folks, is not ranting and getting off track. But, you know, when we're there, we're there. So the recommending lover, our guest, Annie Banks, will go first. She will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower her praise and state her high-minded case. Uh, I will go second today as the second middle lover person otherwise thing. I'll throw five minutes on to think I can sound as good as Annie, but I I won't. And then the middle per, or I should say the concluding person is William tonight. He's going to be not quite a hater, but more of a meh kind of guy. He's going to do five uninterrupted minutes of garbled noise to present his counterpoints with any manner of intellectual scorched earth. After that, we'll open it up for at least 15 minutes of shared conversation where the hissy fit really gets adorable. Because again, we're here with guests and really good fucking guests. Because Annie Banks is here again. So let's go. All right. Are we ready? Annie, you get your clock and fire away. I'll hit the bell when you're done. All right. Here we go. Um, Tick, Tick, Boom originally for me was an anomaly because I didn't know how to perceive Lin-Manuel making yet another musical. Considering his ongoing track record and my man just really dunking this year for the most part on the musical scene through cinematic interpretation. Um. I was almost a theater kid. Admittedly, I was kind of walking that middle ground of maybe wanting to pursue the uh, arts, the finer arts as higher education and as something I wanted to do as a recreational thing. Um, Decided elsewise, but Tick, Tick, Boom definitely surprised me. I am, I, if you've been in a room with me for five minutes, I definitely love Andrew Garfield, but I will make sure that my entire Perspective of this film does not minimalize down to just liking Andrew Garfield. Even though this is one of the strongest performances in his career, I enjoyed this so much more than I thought I would because it is the year of the musical. We've seen a lot of different takes on styles and interpretations and storytelling through more creative and flexible means. Um, I just was staggered by the movie surprises and, you know, how it decided to take these leaps and bounds, much like uh, others who have decided to do very personal and intimate forms of telling narratives of stories that we may not listen to or take the time to lend an ear to if it doesn't agree with our own lives. Um, Jonathan Larson, this is, this is it. This is for him. And being able to experience an existential crisis vicariously, it's not the best feeling in the world, but you feel that. And it sits with you and it nestles deep in your chest and you look back at that and you go, oh my God, am I am I feeling this dread? Am I feeling this, this anticipation of aging and what comes next for me? Um, as someone who is about to turn a chapter in my own life where I go, okay, what comes next for me? This struck an emotional chord. I really did enjoy the means of incorporating the music, different music and different reflections of how Rent was brought to the stage and how it could reflect on Larson's own life through a, a biopic and doing it so elegantly. You know, it wasn't just about the music. It was about his relationship with music and how it was so intimate with his own relationships on and off the stage. Um, you know, I grew up with Vanessa Hudgens as well. I remember watching her, ironically, in High School Musical as a kid and, and watching, you know, her performance as a, a young musician, seeing, following that development of her as an actress and um, especially with more challenging numbers such as therapy where you're, you're arguing here and it takes these issues and these own problems that we have 
and it takes it and converts it into this very artistic and open-minded sense of how we deal with what we want to deal with and how we decide to deal with that. Um, just, you know, it's, it's boasting the greatest works of a theater legend and of the a film that, uh, cinematic legend and really adds another tick to Lin-Manuel's box where he moves himself out of his comfort zone where we're so used to hearing him perform hip hop and do these very over-exaggerated performances made for the stage. And this is very condensed and it's very intimate. And it's very personal. And you can feel that, you know, the, the imperfect characters and the high energy and the complexities that really string this thing together. It just, it grabs you by the lapels and shakes you and it, it asks you to pay attention to it. And it just, since it resonates with each and every one of us who sits down and decides to dedicate an hour or two, um, it, you know, it's not always true to life, which is interesting as other films have done. But I think when you take these fables and you learn how to apply them in a sense that they can somehow blend in reality and reflect on how we decide to interpret our reality and then take that one step further and say, look what I can do with this and how I can drive that. Um, even on a, a plot that may stretch itself thin and doesn't know where to go at times, it just showcases talents in front of the camera and behind the camera. Uh, visually and choreographically and everything else about it celebrates passion and love and drive and motivation and how we appreciate those around us. It is exhilarating and it really does tick, tick, boom with excitement. I Look have three at seconds. That. You played it well. Wow. It really does tick, tick, boom. Yeah, right. good job, Harrison. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Not bad. All right, I got five here. All right, here we go, here we go, here we go. Um, no, I got to follow up where, like I said, I, I guess I'm in the middle position because I'm, I'm admittedly I'm in the middle of the movie. What I, what I will not deny. Uh, more than anything in the world is man you know in the first 10 minutes of this movie that this is the best andrew garfield has ever been for me and i know he's gotten some academy love in a couple of places for for other films and uh notably hacksaw ridge and i think silence i think he got two academy award nominations for and those are two places where to me he is overselling and butchering accents and he's just i i can't watch it like hacksaw ridge is it just he plays this dumb hayseed thing that he kind of repeats again this past year in the, in the eyes of Tammy Faye, but at least has a little more substance in the movie to give him something to do in the eyes of Tammy Faye. That is, whereas in Hacksaw Ridge, he's just a vessel for Mel Gibson to blow shit up. Um, but no, um, this is easily the best Andrew Garfield has ever been in, in my eyes, where um, his acting, the monologuing on mic, the singing, performing, the uh, the energy and exasperation that he puts into this. Um, into this project and into the creative genius and, and, and layers that's going on here from, like you said, Lin-Manuel, there's just a lot going here and it's, it's amazing. There's there. I admit though, there's a level of this movie where, you know, they're throwing a lot of the wall until something sticks much like a struggling artist would, you know, you have all these ideas, you have all these tangents, you, you can't pin a good one down to finish or get something, you know, solid to the point where you can feel happy about it, or you're always editing and always changing. And with the kind of the, the plot structure, well, I guess I didn't say the plot structure, but one of the, the underlining narratives of this movie is him trying to finish this, this big piece of 
uh, of production he's trying to do that's a very science fiction thing and he's like one song short and no matter how much he tries to pin himself down or remove distractions and he just can't do it much in the same way that the frenziness of this movie almost can't either where there's there's a, just a lot you know it's just a very energetic busy thing where and the next level where it can be a challenge is we've seen struggling artist stories before you know some of them are are a little less energetic than this for sure you take something like inside lewin davis and struggling artist stories can get a little insufferable at times where you're like oh, okay we get it you're brilliant settle down finish your shit or like hey we get it you're brilliant you know me you know <laughs> mellow up a little bit and you know enjoy your talent you know you got great things going on for you just channel it buddy you know or figure it out and there's this one i admit the first time i saw it because of how just how not how long it went on but just how energetic it went on or how clueless the character was where this one veered close to an insufferable level where i'm like all right andrew we get it you know or even just the character itself jonathan like you know we we get it you're brilliant you're amazing shut the fuck up and finish some you know <laughs> notice the girl who's sitting right here and sometimes those struggling artist stories are their own tropes where we get to a point where we're guaranteed that this artist is going to make an amazing great thing but along the way when we've seen it unfortunately a thousand times he's going to fuck up with friends he's going to fuck up with his girl or his significant other in any case and we we have that here and where i'm like all right you know you're not telling me anything I haven't seen a thousand times before, but thank goodness you're doing it in a way that is stylish, energetic, fun, and poignant. Because I tell you what, the, the person that saved the movie for me that took it to another place was uh, Robin DeJesus as Michael, Jonathan's best friend, where you see that side of the struggling artist who, who gave it all up and quit uh, for, for an advertising career in the movie. And, and in doing so just kind of secures a comfortable place in life that even though there's a little bit of creative flame that's been extinguished the comfort part helps especially dealing with the other societal issues that are possible out there and it's not that but at the same time that person who kind of quit has to kind of deal with that kind of that detachment to the to the heart of the place you've been before and I, I yeah, I super duper admire Ram DeJesus' performance. I think he's an anchor that really helps this movie not be a one man show. Um, I think Alexander Ship, who I've been impressed with for a long time, um, there's a really good movie I uh, that no one has ever seen her do. Uh, it's like a kind of almost time travel Patrick Swayze ghost movie called Endless. That she does a real nice part where it's not your typical girlfriend part, and she takes this movie and doesn't make it a typical girlfriend part. And I I, I tip my hat to that. But at the end of the day, this is still the Andrew Garfield show. Um, it's it's a wonderful performance. We're in the process of award season where I have no problem him getting nominations or even winning uh, awards for what he's done here. It, it's a it's a wonderful work. It's a good tribute. I admit I'm not a Rent guy. I've never seen it. I don't know my Jonathan Larson stuff. I was learning as I went with this movie, and I can appreciate what they're trying to do. And that's the kind of the fun part about this movie is you get a taste of it in the credits where they kind of show the actual thing that this movie's based on. And you're like, Whoa, they really spot on went for that aesthetic feel to it and doing homework afterwards. And you see where the roots of themes and rent come from the experiences of the character himself, that it all made sense. And it all coalesced in a good way for me. So I went over my five. Yeah, it happens. It does. Uh, well, I'm going to start on mine. Uh, Don was uh, active on Facebook Messenger um, 
when I was watching this film. And um, after the first 45 minutes, uh, I believe I chatted him the sentence, I am in hell, help me. And he just kind of said, don't worry, it'll get better. And uh, like most things, Don is correct. And uh, it did get better. Um, I found, uh, you know, it's weird because we just did an episode on Bo Burnham's Inside, which I loved. And I I wouldn't call that a musical. It's more of a musical comedy special. Uh, But West Side Story is currently at this point my number one film of the year um, for the Spielberg uh, aspects of it, but also just because... It's just a great film. Uh, that said, I, I don't really like musicals that much. So the first 45 minutes of this movie, I was kind of like, I saw, a, I saw a great tweet from someone. Uh, I don't know who it was. So whoever it was, great job. But um, someone said, uh, you know, it, it was one of those tweets where it says, like, the person who created musicals, you know, colon, what if I ruined a movie every 15 minutes with a song? And that's kind of how I feel about musicals a lot of the time. I have trouble with the suspension of disbelief of people talking about real issues and then suddenly breaking into song. I've always struggled with that. Um, when it's done right, you don't feel it at all. Like West Side Story, both, both editions, uh, Sound of Music, um, Chicago, uh, I think is a great musical. This, this, those are just some of the ones that come off the top of my head. You don't notice it. This had, this felt like it to me, where I was just kind of like, okay, we get it. He's energetic and fun, and they're all they're all a bunch of fun, you know, theater people. Yay, you know. It it just it felt too manufactured to me and abrupt, and I just I was in hell. And, and then it, it it did amp it up a little bit. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, after his uh, his version of the Avengers Endgame portal scene in which he had every Broadway actor in the history of the world show up in a diner, um, you know, uh, there was this kind of mainlining of the narrative and the tension was brought up and I started forgetting it was a musical. So I gave this three stars on Letterboxd. Um, the reason why is it's a pure middle for me. The first 45 minutes to an hour, I was in hell. It was a one star. Uh, the remaining, including the acting by Andrew Garfield uh, and some of the cinematic delivery by Lin-Manuel Miranda was a five. So it just balanced out to a three. I, I think it's kind of a whiplash-like perf- like experience. Uh, you know, I've, I've never, I, I hardly ever have an experience where I'm just like so apathetic towards a movie and then it does that quick turn. Um, unlike Don, uh, I don't. I don't know what Annie's feelings are on some of these actors. I, I didn't. Um, uh, I didn't hear her commentary on that. But uh, I actually think Alexander Ship and Robin DeHazes are bad in this movie. So they actually kind of ruined the movie for me a little bit because I think Alexander Ship was out of out of it was out of her league this role, and Robin DeHazes just seemed a little too. I don't know how to I don't know how to phrase this. It, it felt a little too tropey for me. It felt almost a little token like cuz it's it's like we're going to try to encapsulate the whole AIDS gay experience through this one character and I thought it was too much of a burden for that character to um to take on. Uh it just didn't feel real to me. That that drama fell flat to me. 
Um, Andrew Garfield obviously is excellent. Um, the the MVP for this movie, and I know that Don made a joke about Boner or something or other about Vanessa Hudgens. I actually don't. Vanessa Hudgens falls in that weird category for me, like with other people like um, Hillary Duff and Selena Gomez and all these people that I see as children. So like I I never have like found Vanessa Hudgens like super attractive or whatever because I'm always like oh that's the kid from High School Musical. But I got to say, I've always maybe doubted her abilities, perhaps because of High School Musical, which I'm not like a huge fan of, obviously. But to me, she's the MVP of this movie. She's engaging. She's captivating. Her vocal performances are great. Her acting performance is great. <coughs> Excuse me. So I actually wish that she played the Alexander Ship role because she was fantastic in this film. So yeah, you got some you got some good performances, some bad performances, a bad opening, a great ending, great cinematic flourishes, just a mixed bag overall. <coughs> and that's a three, and I'm choking, so I'm gonna end my time. All right, well done, sir. We will break for a short announcement from our non-corporate partners and friends. We know you've been scared watching horror movies by yourself. Well, now you don't have to. Hang out with Ruminations of Red Rum, all things horror from movies to the latest spooky games we've played. Come hang out, but hurry. The killer's behind you. All right, folks, welcome back. Uh, Annie, how, how did we do? I think it is, you did really well with that. I think that a lot of important aspects were, bringing, were brought up about this just because um, there are some tropes and some stereotypes that were definitely indulged upon, especially with the... Uh, HIV AIDS epidemic needing to be I, I think that it's it's difficult to articulate on that if you don't experience it yourself or don't know someone who is suffering from that experience himself. Um and it, it's very you you're asked to walk on eggshells and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of direction as to how to overdo it or underdo it. I think acknowledging it is fine, but I think that at the same time it doesn't need to overbear, if that makes sense. Well, and, and if I may, <coughs> excuse me, Please. I don't know why I'm choking today. Um, I actually think because of the seriousness of that issue and how much they focus on that as a thematic issue, it actually undermines the main character. Because like Don was saying, like sometimes you're like, okay, just write your song, buddy, you know? Um, this character is so dedicated to, uh, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, it's Jonathan Larson is the name of the character, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or the person in real life. He is so dedicated to that artistic purity and getting it right that he does. I mean, we've seen it before where the, you know, the girlfriend gets overlooked and the jobs aren't coming in and he's yeah. electricity is coming off fine, whatever. That's, that's the trope we've all seen. But by focusing so much on the perils and uh, tragedy of the AIDS epidemic, what happens is, is even though they use this as a character building moment for him, which I found a little manipulative, but even before that, and even after that, he looks so petty and he, I have no sympathy for him and his plight because of the fact that there's this real world, factor going on that they're emphasizing so much like why would i give a shit if a guy can't write a song when his friends are literally dying 
you know, next to him, and his character is either too selfish or too stupid to see it. Like I said, they do eventually play that into his character having that revelation where he goes, holy shit, I've been thinking about this song and I've got people that are dying. But it's like you're asked, like you said, I think you're talking about walking on eggshells. You're asked to you're asked to take the burden of this character on and support him through all the poor decisions he's making when there are clearly more important things going on around him. And I, that I think that undermines the character. And in the end that undermines the film and the thesis of the film a little bit. How do you think they should have gone about that instead? If you think Hmm. that it, well, so I significantly, I also know nothing about rent. So I'm assuming based on what I've heard about rent, that AIDS plays a portion into rent. Is that correct? It's like that. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. So I, 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 so maybe there's some nuance I'm missing because I know that obviously just Jonathan Larson would go on to write rent, which became a huge hit. Um, so there might be a little nuance that I'm missing. So I will allow for that. I'll give myself grace there and think, okay, maybe if I see rent or understand how rent works, maybe some of these aspects would clear up a little bit. How they should handle it, like I said, the Robin DeJesus character is Michael. Um, they are He is given the brunt of representing that AIDS epidemic and the gay experience and the, the corporate sellout and this, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think if it was spread out a little bit more and it wasn't made so smash you over the head apparent, um, perhaps it would have sold me a little bit better. Um, because to me, like, I know it's a musical and people are breaking out into song, right? But if Jonathan Larson's best friend is literally like not only the antithesis of what he wants to be, but is also suffering from prejudice and also has friends that are dying of AIDS. Like that one character embodies so much drama and uh, all these issues that like, that's what I'm saying. The Andrew Garfield character, he just looks so stupid and like just ignorant to what's going on around him because his best friend is clearly going through all of these issues. And that's what I'm saying. It's too much for that one character to burden because that's definitely probably not the case. Does that character in real life, does Michael in real life, I don't know if he's an amalgamation of multiple people or whatever. They say he's based on one particular person from Jonathan's life. Yeah. Perhaps there are aspects of that, but the way that the narrative puts that on his shoulders to such a massive degree makes their interactions almost unrealistic because how the hell could Andrew Garfield focus on anything else if his friend's so tortured and burdened by all of this. You know what I mean? It just, so maybe there's a way to soften. Like I said, I felt it was very tropey. It was very much like, okay, this is the character. That's the antithesis of Jonathan Larson. And he'll be the one that, you know, teaches him the lesson in the end. And it just, it just didn't work for me. So I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a director and I'm not a very artistic person. So how I would do it, I don't know. I'm not talented enough to say that, but I do feel like you could maybe kind of put the emphasis on some of the themes they're trying to do, spread it around a little bit, make it less knock you over the head with it. If that makes any sense. I don't know if it does. No, what it does, it absolutely does. I think that the level of intensity that this one comes across with is definitely hit or miss. I think you love it or you are 
you're not as enthused by everything that it tries to accomplish while telling multiple stories at once. And it's made for a certain audience. I think it's made for those who appreciate Rent for what it was and how it came to be and want to know how it came to be. Um, which is Rent is the second musical, like classic musical that's been reiterated this year between this and West Side Story. You know, I almost said West Side Story for tonight. Um, just because there's so much you can get into on that as well. But I think with performances that are being asked to step up a little bit more, um, they're not getting as much recognition, which is a little concerning, but at the same time, it's not the end of the world. I think that with issues like the Alexandra ship role where you're like, okay, this could go either way for me. And it can't, it's, it's, you know, it's a fine role. I would you who would you want to see take on that position instead? Ooh. Well, I, I, I wanted I Vanessa, I wanted Vanessa Hudgens. I wanted Vanessa Hudgens. Because I think Did you want that, to see Ship take on Hudgens' role then? Yeah, I would have been a, I, well, I don't know, because I don't think Alexander Ship is a great singer either. So yeah, I don't know got, if she could pull that off. But yeah, you need I'm Vanessa not, to be able to do all the stage aspects of it. And at that level of degree, that's kind of her. It's the spot for her. I, I guess with my Vanessa Hudgens thing is I guess I have, because of the Hallmark movies and the high school musicals and a lot of the stuff that she's done that have failed. Oh, like, so I you watched a little Princess Switch too, huh? All right. Of all course. Right. I didn't, I never gave her the benefit of the doubt that she could perform at a certain level. So, yeah, would I think she'd be a perfect fit for the Alexander Ship role? No, but I got so much more out of her performance in a lesser role than I got from Alexander Ship mm. in a more pivotal role. So when I said I wish they were switched, I just kind of wish, like, I got more Vanessa Hudgens, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Because to me, she was, I mean, she's not on the level of Andrew Garfield in this movie, but to me, she was the biggest surprise and kind of the, like the sixth man off the bench where I was like, holy shit, she's really mm. good. Mm. Um I don't know. So I, I don't know. I, I I mean, who it, it's nice that there are lesser known actors getting a role like that, because if this was a if this was a bigger budget like Hollywood movie, we would probably have God, what, Anna Kendrick or Scarlett Johansson or something who can yeah, sing and also or, or even Kristen Bell or something. So, you know, like, you know, you would get somebody who maybe perhaps doesn't exactly fit that world. So Alexander Ship is good in the sense that she. I feel like she belongs in that world. She's not a superstar that like makes you think, oh, that's Alexander Ship. No, she she's the character, but I just don't think she's strong enough in the role and a good enough singer to pull off what they're asking her to do. So I, I really don't know who could replace her. I'm that is beyond my talents. Don, but do you, you have any issues with the casting in this? Uh, no, I sure don't. I think um you what always surprises me in is is just yeah. Andrew Garfield surprised me because, you know, he's still a, you know, a stiff lip Brit trying to do an American accent and achieves that. Thank goodness. And, and I had no idea he could do what he could do in terms of the, the singing and the cadence and keeping up with, because like you were saying with the arts, you know, there's, there's, it's just different kinds of performance levels you have to be able to do to pull this off. And it's, this isn't a, you know, a Disney movie where, or a Disney reimagining where he just has to hit a mark and pipe out a ballad. He has to, you know, keep up that cadence with with Hudgens' character and 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 move with a with a rhythm that is far different and to me more challenging than just you know singing one great really good show tune. And I was impressed by that. And I think I think Alexandra Ship was fine. Like I said, she they, they give her a little more to do than just be the girl. 
and I think that helps. And I, and I like that that's a, a place for her to kind of get elevated and not have a big star there. And if that's a cost saving measure, it probably on some layer and point, I, I get that and all that. But I think the, what helps a lot and it, and it will describe this in his five minutes. And this is a place where I can kind of, you know, reiterate, reiterate some kudos is it, it stays nice and intimate. You know, this is, you can tell that the tick, tick, boom stage play is this, you know, one man on a piano, you know, at, at ranting about life where there's little sequences of stools and parts and, and, you know, an accompaniment that goes with it. So to be able, and, and Lin-Manuel, who's performed that before, you know, he's, he's done the, the Jonathan part or the Michael part, whatever we're supposed to call this, um, the Jonathan part, I'm sorry. And uh, so for him to, kind of conceive this and film this as I can make an adaptation of that. And then at the same time, take another layer out to show the struggling artist and his life outside of the production at the same time as let me still put my roots in for rent. Let me show you what superbia was about. Let me also, and maybe to its detriment of packing too many things in a movie, show you the age and the times and the period of the socioeconomics or the, the politics or, in this case, AIDS and the, and, the, and the epidemics and parts that are and the themes that were existent back in those late 80s and 90s, or I should say early 90s. And that's where, that's where production to me can beat casting is, man, man, you know, Lin-Manuel came in and, and did more than just a tick, tick, boom adaptation. He put the he put the um he put the pov layer over it and and it which enables more people to be involved in the story more performance because if you just do a tick tick boom adaptation you have andrew garfield and his ensemble on stage talking out his verses and his songs to have a best friend that guides him to have a girl that guides him to have friends that kind of cling and hang on and lift his spirits or bring his spirits down to have the the jobs and the layers and the, the weight of the world so to speak out there with it adds to the movie and gives the cast more to do. I can, I can agree with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's a weird middle ground. It's like, I just feel like they, they can't decide. It's, it's a so lot. weird. It's so weird. Yeah, it's so it is. There's your phrase you always use, you know, throwing something, throwing something in the water. What's the other phrase you use all the time, Don? I can never say it. Right? I, I do. Ten pounds of sugar in a five pound bag. Yeah. Right. Like I, you're right. Like that movie does have those more intimate moments where it's not just a stage play, but then it does go to like all these different spectrums where it's like, first it's all the drama and then it's all, yeah. Intimate. It's, it's just a little too much for me. I just, sure. I could never get my bearings. I always felt, yeah. I always felt like I was lost at sea with this one. I think, I think one thing that helps with the intimacy is when they take those steps out of just tick, tick, boom, just the, the stage and the piano and Hudgens and they take it to, him writing or the, the part where he's with his agent or the theater and all the other parts, or even when he has to do the corporate job, it never goes too far out to be like, let me show you six establishing shots of New York to remind you that we're in Manhattan or we're in Brooklyn. <laughs> or we're doing the struggling artist thing, or it's never a, there's, he's got that one musical number where he's out at the outdoor amphitheater theater. That's empty at night. And it's like rained a little bit where, Normally in a different movie, that would be overamped to be like, you know, singing and dancing or all over the entire city or, hey, Andrew, work the room and like cover, you know, every inch of this set. Instead, it's just I'm here. There's a little bit of this, but I'm the camera and everything stays on him in that shitty apartment, in those working spaces, in those education spaces, in the diner. It never zooms out to remind you. 
hey, it's a New Yorker movie about New Yorkers. You know, it's never too big for those bridges. It's despite the t- two steps back, it's never 10 steps back. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Annie, I got a question for you. We're in the yeah. middle of award season and this movie is up for awards and we're in the process as of, as of this recording of voting for our own awards in the Chicago Indie Critics and Andrew Garfield is up for best actor. I voted for him. I was just I mean, I, know, I, I I that was I knew this question was coming. Yeah. But I made little you know and I looking at the other contenders in the category, you know, it's there was a lot of talent to step back and recognize and really have a moment to think about what each individual contributed to their own film and the scope of cinema in the year. Um, that being said, I was just absolutely floored by his delivery and his performance. And mm-hmm. uh, even looking at it in comparison to the two other films that he was highlighted yes. in this year. I was going to um, ask you about that. Like, if you think this was the best of those three. I do. Uh, I, you yeah. know, I think that yeah. each of them brings, again, he, his, his talent is, phenomenal he he oozes just passion for what he does and again not to get into a parasocial relationship with him but at the same time you you feel like this person is sharing their love of acting with them with you and the audience and you can reach that out and hold it in the palm of your hand and just wrap your fingers around that love for the theater and the stage and the the idea of movie making um but you know, Eyes of Tammy Faye, well done. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, I wish I did not know that he was going to be in the movie before actually seeing it. This is why I don't watch trailers. Oh, shut up. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I, it wasn't I had in the trailer, trailer Don. Shut up. Still, It wasn't about the trailers, Don. It was about people on the internet being yeah. so selfless and wanting to be the first one, or selfish and wanting to be the first ones to say that they they cracked the case. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, Sherlock. You fucking got it and you ruined it for everyone else, you know? Yeah. Um but you know, I think with this one, I did not I I was unaware of the specter of his musical abilities mm-hmm. and how much he could put into those and I was just amazed. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. I'm voting this week. I haven't filled my ballot out yet, but uh Who's, who's, who's he up against on your ballot? He, for the Chicago Indie Critics, he's up against Nicolas Cage for Pig, Benedict, Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog, okay. uh, and, uh, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Another great pick. Yeah, normally I'm a Denzel Washington all day and all night kind of guy, but if I'm going on just a single movie and a single thing, man, Garfield Garfield's really tugging on me in terms of votes and and, and Annie, it might very well sway me right here on this show. No, I, I love I love listening to him uh do the press for this movie. Like I've seen junkets with him and Lynn together, and it's like like Annie's saying, you you genuinely feel the outpouring of like this was just such a cool thing I wanted to do, and at the same time, a really good story to tell and something that had some passion to it, and it shows my passion too. And I've really enjoyed hearing him pour his heart out about this movie and then dodge bottom end questions while he's at it, but it's still really cute. <laughs> do you think that this, um, on a sidebar to this, do you think mm-hmm. that those five on your list are indicative of what you think the Oscars are going to do as well? Ooh. Um, I don't think cage has a chance in hell with Oscar voters, but the other mm-hmm. four I think are, are pretty, are front runners to say it like that. Yeah. Wait, Who's the uh, you know, I think behind it's, them? it's, go ahead. I don't know. That's a good question there. See, I, I just can't bring myself to 
vote for Cumberbatch and Power of the Dog just because I can't morally align myself with the message behind Power of the Dog. <laughs> yeah, we've talked about this. We've uh, talked about it. Oh my gosh, off, you guys off, know where I stand. You know, but at the same time, I think, you know, I admire Benedict Cumberbatch and have admired him since, you know, the dawn of yeah. his work and how he has really transformed himself into each role that he takes on, even if it may feel a little weird or look a little ill-fitting mm-hmm. on him. Um, he I does assume... a really nice job with, with whatever he's given to work with. I do not think I have met a Benedict Cumberbatch performance that I right. was not no, delighted he's... by. He's really good, and probably from an industry standpoint, he's probably the front runner. And because you know he's he's super talented, you're catching him at the prime of his talent in in something that's very different for him from the usual norm that he does. Mm. I don't think it's that super special. Like he he's not getting my vote. Um, at the same time, as you have all these people who are kind of you know who are kind of do. Yeah, as I say, Will Smith seems Will to be getting Smith. a lot of the, the vote. I mean, I think he's very good, Will, King Richard. Will Smith but, is uh, your yeah, he's your sentimental vote because it's Will Smith. I mean, he's right. I think he was better in other things, but oh, is absolutely. this your spot to? We've seen the Oscars do do this. Is this but a spot this that Will is Smith a sympathy gets a spot? thing too? It's a sympathy. It's a sympathy yeah. vote because you go, oh geez, he's got this uh, marriage that sucks, and we've yeah. seen some <laughs> red table read. I'm serious though. That's true. We've seen this infidelity and him being dragged by Jada Pinkett Smith, who, yeah. for what it's worth, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know where I can't say what's going on behind closed doors, but what it's worth, it seems like she's not pulling her weight in this either, and she's having mm-hmm. all this time in the world to just drag this poor guy for stuff yeah. that she needs to fix, <laughs> and saw, he's at the brunt of it. I saw a great tweet. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say that you're at the brunt of it. You go, oh my God, he was in King Richard. I love Venus and Serena. Mm -hmm. Check, you know. He is, to be fair, he is really good in that movie. Oh, I know. I know know he is. And I'm not saying that he wasn't. I'm saying that there's a lot of sentimental attachment. Oh, sure. And I I saw a great great meme on Twitter the other day where it showed, it uh, it was a picture of like um, Will Smith looking at Jada Pickett Smith or something. And it said something like it quoted Will Smith from an interview where it kept saying, like, I wanted her to look at me the way he, she used to look at Tupac. And mm-hmm. the meme at the bottom said, like, in a couple more interviews, we're going to figure out who killed Tupac. You know, like, obviously, yeah. they have this strange relationship now. And it's, just, it's probably what's going to come down to is Will Smith murdered Tupac. But uh, you know, they're not far off. It could happen. Are you, are you casting that into the universe? So when it comes so, to light, so who does who does Andrew Garfield have to kill to win this Oscar coming up in a month? And a half here, huh? Well, he already killed Emma Stone. So true. Good point. Ooh, oh, he killed her. Wow. Yeah. Kind of. Um, yeah. Would, would he have to kill Benedict? Or yeah, would he have to kill Benedict Cumberbatch? I'd be okay if he killed Benedict Cumberbatch. You would I, live I give like, him a pass for that. Just, totally wobbed him and took him out yeah you'd live like you you you'd be i, I like tomorrow I, if tmz released a headline right? it's like andrew garfield convicted of murder yeah and then it was like a, a really sad picture of benedict coverbatch photo sure. into like fucking clouds or whatever yeah. addition by subtraction yeah. i'm there yeah we're good yeah but then then what'll happen is andrew garfield you know serves four years out of the you know the the other 38 are vacated he goes on to be in a Mel Gibson movie, wins an Oscar, he gets a standing oh, ovation for the murder. Right. Just yeah, like, just like uh, what's his name, Roman Polanski got the standing ovation yeah. for the pianist all those years ago. So yeah, don't worry, he'll be rewarded. So for what it. would the movie be called if this hypothetical Ooh. were to manifest? 
<laughs> oh, God, I don't know. Cover title. Cover title. Uh, uh, what are his fans called? Cumber bitches. Rise of the Rise of the Cumber bitches. Rise of the Cumber bitches. Oh, everything has rise in it now. So, or, or here, Rise of the Cumber bitches plus because every streaming platform has a oh, plus. There you go. It, so, yeah, yeah. That's I, uh, I. I my curiousness is if this movie has any Oscar legs beyond Garfield, and that's the part where I don't know. There's not really Are an original th- song that's yeah, making say, the rounds. There's not a whenever, score that's making the rounds. I can't say costumes and production. You know, whenever there's a musical that comes out there's usually always like a song written as oscar bait was that the case with this movie was there anything I, added to the thing so. this yeah. was this was all original works from okay because i know they did because i remember when like chicago came out you know it would be weird to have like you know the oscar favorite for best musical not win a best song so mm-hmm. they had like they had like a song that was made up i remember yeah. taylor swift has tried to get an oscar a couple times by writing songs right for like cats and stuff but uh, West Side Story didn't do it either. They didn't add a song to it, you know. So I think, like, or it's, did they add? Is it Moreno's song? No, because that's song. Yeah, no, they have it. her do her little original number, right? Uh, this is the written ha- in character for her she, cameo. She, yeah, well, she has a, she has a number in the new movie, but I think that's the one original, not in the first one song, because it's not her doing any of but, the old. But did it exist in the play? Are we, talking about West, are we talking about West Side Story? We're talking about any original piece for West Side Story. Yeah. No, I don't think. Up an Oscar I, I do not That's think. Really I do not think it's been. Uh, I do not think it's original to the film. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, it yeah, may yeah. be original to that adaption, but not the film, if that makes sense. Because I've heard, I've heard West Side Story is the most complete version of the play mm. uh, on film. Because I, I know that they. You know, not only did they whitewash a couple characters in the original, <laughs> but um, they also cut out uh, quite a bit. And whereas this one is a little bit more complete and a little bit edgier than the original was too. So I'm over here looking at different uh, <coughs> best best song contenders here, like on prediction articles, and there's not a thing from Tick, Tick, Boom or West Side Story. So I'm pretty sure we have all the OG stuff and nothing new. Because it's going to be, it's gonna be like a... Bohemian Rhapsody again, where um, like King Richard's going to end up winning like five Oscars and like lead the <laughs> like lead the the Oscars. Like everyone's going to be like, "Wait, King Richard won five Oscars? What the hell?" Like because I think the Beyonce song in that one is getting a lot of Oscar buzz. For the King Beyonce Richard. song is there. The, the the five that are kind of like the leading contenders according. I'll, I'm quoting. I'm kind of citing Variety here. Is "Be Alive" from King Richard. Guns go bang from the harder they fall. Dos Orguitos, Orguitas from Encanto by Lin Manuel Miranda. Miranda is trying to get that. Uh, was trying to get that. What, what do they call it? Uh, the uh, the Egot. Egot, yeah, that'll E-got. be the spot. Uh, Just look up from Don't Look Up, and of course, No Time to Die from No Time to Die. See if they're gonna nominate Lin Manuel for anything. It should be the one about Bruno. I agree. Encanto. That's the one. That's you know, the so one. That's the, that's like that's the catchy Disney style number. Yeah, totally. That's the music if is... I think of Lin Manuel. I'm going to think about what we don't talk about Bruno. I'm not going to mm-hmm. think about a, a word that I'm not going to pronounce in a language that is not my own. <laughs> right. That's what's always very, I don't know anything about the Oscars and music. I, I don't know the history. I, mm-hmm. I, I know that, you know, Eminem won an Oscar before Martin Scorsese did and stuff like that. But, <laughs> but like, uh, so but like six mafia too. Right? Six mafia, yeah. But, um, 
you know, like it does always seem like when there is a musical that has original work, like they always kind of pick the, they never seem to pick the, the strongest song or the most clever song. It's yeah. maybe it's a little bit more radio play. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to describe it, but I always do feel like they, they always kind of underplay the strengths of, you know, what that play is or yeah. what that music, what that music is, I guess. I, I think the front runner is whoever the CIC picks because we are the group that picked I, I Punch Keanu Reeves two years ago as the best original song of the year. So if we can do that, we can make any. Oh, movie. was that from the uh, uh, the Ali the, Wong comedy? The Ali Wong, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That that won an Oscar. That, they did not win an Oscar. It won oh. one of our little CIC awards in Chicago here. Oh, I see. I, oh, I see. It's humor. I get it. It's a joke. I see. Yeah. I was. I was like, wait a minute. I, I was like, that that won a fucking Oscar. That's awesome. That'd be great if it did. <laughs> you know what though? Keanu would think that was funny. You can oh, tell him that this won an Oscar, and he'd absolutely get a kick out of it. Well, he was in that movie too, so I mean, he kind of was playing like a joke about himself in that movie. Good movie, I enjoyed it. it. Was. Uh, another Oscar, little Oscar musical trivia. I do remember when uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone were nominated for Blame Canada, Blame Canada and they showed up in the J Lo oh, and Gwyneth Paltrow dresses. That was oh my gosh! And they had Robin Williams sing "Blame Canada" at the Oscars. Oh my gosh! There mm-hmm. you go. That that's that. This no, is what we should be returning to. As- no, but Andy, look look it up when they wore the dresses because there was it was the sure. famous J Lo dress where yes. it was the green where I, like because I know what you're talking about. I remember watching yeah. this in South Park. Yeah, no, it was it was uh, pretty wild because they were like, "Hey, the South Park guys got an Oscar nomination. What are they going to do? Those crazy rascals, you know?" <laughs> and so they showed up in dresses. It was awesome. Good for them. Final thoughts on Tick Tick Boom, y'all? I liked it. I enjoyed it. I, I it's something that I could definitely see myself sitting down and watching again. I listen to the soundtrack often, um, just because I find it catchy and energetic, and it, it puts me in a good mood for the most part. Um, you know, it, it gets me up and motivated and moving. And, um, you know, I think being able to tell biopics about musicians through music themselves, music they've created and through their own work is a very flattering, if not honoring way of remembering them and um, putting their best foot forward, even if it's the foot that we would not want to see. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield, my guy, my yeah. man, um, just outstanding. I, I cannot wait to see what he and if he happens to team up with Lynn Manuel in the future, what these two can come up with next and challenge themselves to go beyond something that I would love to see win an Academy Award or two. Mm-hmm. I think it would be really fulfilling for the team behind it to see the efforts they put in to put this really just unique and unsuspecting musical out there. And there's, I, I, I can't and, beat that. Will, what do you got? Yeah, I was, was going to say we we've. Some of the burdens of the streaming service have been leaped over, like, you know, Laura Dern won an acting award for Marriage Story, and Alfonso Cuaron obviously won mm-hmm. Best Glass Director. Glass broken, for sure. So the glass ceiling's broken a little bit, but do you, th- I mean, I, 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 is it enough to start making it a continuing occurrence, or is, are those kind of one-offs for right now? Because, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I still think there's a stigma I'm not saying it should because I think Netflix film. Yeah, I think there's yeah. still a stigma there. Like I said, I, with with Corona, it was like, I mean, it was such a visual achievement, like it was impossible to ignore with Roma. And I yeah. think 
with Laura Dern. That was that was a mixture of a great performance mixed with We Owe You, like, you know, because she'd been nominated so many times before. Uh, I'm wondering if Garfield's too young and it's Netflix, if if that will succeed. It's also, I think, also a bit of oversaturation. Like Netflix has a big, you know, a big horse in the race called the power of the dog that they want to win everything. Like you can, you can see Annie and I can see in the press side, like that's the one getting the most push. Whereas, you know, it's getting a bigger push than don't look up, which has twice as many stars as, as the power of the dog and triple as many stars as tick, tick, boom, the lost daughters in there. Cause Maggie Gyllenhaal is a, is a wonderful talent to see do a directorial debut. And Olivia Coleman's amazing. And then the hotter they fall is kind of playing the, genre western cool card but like that's five films that netflix has to you know spread the wealth and pretend to promote equally and they you could tell they kind of don't so i there's an oversaturation point i see more than anything yeah and whether don't look up is good or not i haven't seen it yet but i've heard mixed reviews from you know some people uh the the oscars really love adam mckay so uh, I, know, I think might... I think it's a screenplay nomination shoe in for sure. I don't know if it'll make picture, but yeah. Mm, yeah, you never know. Uh in terms of tick tick boom, like I said, it's everything that Annie said is kind of, you know, in terms of even if you don't want to see that aspect of the artistic experience, that's where the movie falters for me a little bit because I couldn't follow him on his journey. And that's what eventually that's what really in the end kind of ended the um, it ended that emotional connection for me. Um, like I said, I can recognize the performance, um, but uh, I, I just didn't have that connection. And uh, maybe if he does win, I'll rewatch it and see if I can get another take on it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm always down for reevaluating stuff. I mean, it's happened throughout my life, so I have no no issues doing that because you never know. You might feel something a little bit different later down the line. Cool. All right, so uh, Annie, why don't you give us some uh, places we can find you, some social media places, or you know where people can reach you and talk to you. Absolutely. Um, So as for reading my work, looking at my work, spending some time with my work, you can find me on Chuckload of Comics, and then you can find me on MovieWeb. And then for social media, I use you know Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, if you will, if you really want to connect, you can find me there. LinkedIn, cool. That's some, so mature, so grown up. So state of the art. That's some yeah. amazing stuff. Um, yeah, LinkedIn. Uh, <laughs> anything else you want to? Is there any? You know what? We didn't ask you this on the last show. Mm. What is your in terms of what we can access online? What is like your favorite piece of media that you've written? Like what? What's something Ooh. that you have? Question. That you're like 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 if you, if someone was saying, hey, show me your best work. You would be like, hey, I wrote this article oh, man. about this. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think? You know what? I think that I, this, I usually, when people ask me what's your best or what's your, your accomplishment, I try to think about how I can better myself through each work. So I think that I put the amount of effort that I would like to see come from myself as someone who wants to read my work put into everything. I pride myself on the quality what I write with, that I articulate with, and how I present myself. I think that if you sit down and take the time to skim or read or look at or whatever and engage with anything that I've authored or my name is in the byline of or even mentioned in, 
that you can get a feel of who I am and how I am. I, I can't tell you, as a person who has read her work, but she's I'm encompassing right. of my ability and my personality. Damn straight. Wow. See, I come from the world of, uh, like, I wrote 250 articles for 25 years later before I stopped writing. And uh, I'm, I'm of the um, broken clock is right twice a day. I think I've, I've written probably two good articles. The rest are all garbage. So I like your enthusiasm and I like your, <laughs> I like that you are just like, hey, read all of it because it's all awesome. I think that's what you were saying. It's I all awesome. <laughs> Don, that's what I got out of it. And that's okay I, because it is true. Yeah. Don and Don Thank and you. I can vouch for that. Everything you write Thank is you. great. So I really yes. appreciate you know, that. Thank you so, so much. So look, look up Annie's work. Don't look up my work and Don, whatever. Fine. Eh, whatever. Yeah. He has his he has his moments. Um, but in other news, social media, follow us, Cinephile Hissy Fit, on Twitter at Cinephile Fit and on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fit Podcast. Also find us both on Letterbox. Annie is not on I'm Letterboxd. on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not on Letterbox. That's right. She's where yeah, she she's she's on LinkedIn, guys. I'm on Thank LinkedIn. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fit is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by RuminationsRadioNetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. We are also on Rotten Tomatoes. We're not on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed the show, we have more (laughs) where that came from with the interesting host that is Don and myself and more wonderful guests. I mean, Annie has set the bar very high. Thank you. For 2022. Big for 2022, yes. I mean, we've got we got Annie on there. We've got some great future guests coming. I mean, all the way at the bottom is probably Byron Lafayette and Ben Calvert. But bottom. it's okay. I mean, if, if if we've had maybe how many guests have we had on the show? Like ten, six, six to ten, yeah. six, six to ten. So Byron and Ben, top ten for sure. Uh, but Annie, top two, one. I'm not, we can't even rank. Mm-hmm. We can't even rank. Thank you. Point. I really appreciate that. So yeah, no problem. No problem. Lauren uh, is going to kick your ass. Yeah. <laughs> All available, by the way, on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows. 